Hey everybody, welcome back to the New Seed Podcast. Your host Chris, joined as always by my co-host Peace. And today, it was a really, really special episode. Uh, someone that comes with vast and deep experience within the people space. Uh, someone we're really excited to talk to. The CEO and co-founder of Kincor Consulting, Kevin Kincor. Kevin, how are you doing today? Great, great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on. So please, for the audience, give a little brief background about yourself and to where you are today with Kincor Consulting. Sure. Yeah. For uh, the past close to 25 years, I've been in the recruiting space. I should say recruiting and people space. Uh, started off my career on the agency side of recruiting between contract and retained placement before getting the opportunity to go into tech companies, uh, which has kind of been my passion. Running uh, the talent acquisition group at times, running aspects of the people function uh, outside of that as well. After a few years of doing that and seeing kind of a, a gap in the market around building up the TA function to be a true partner to the business, I started a consulting firm. We've been going for about nine years now. We work with earlier stage companies and high growth companies to help them redesign their recruiting function and to execute on hiring. And so uh, that's what we that's what we do. And that's what I'm up to today. So really getting into it, you mentioned how you guys are involved with early stage companies. What's the difference between early stage company, the growth stage companies relevant to how they manage their people slash HR function? I think really it's the evolution of the people function that you see, starting with around seed stage, going into series A. Oftentimes you, you have bare bones around go to market uh, engineering. You typically have very little people function presence. They might be on a PEO and just kind of managing things on their own. A talent acquisition function is pretty much referrals and job postings. And, uh, and so they really need to just build that out. Employer brand is one thing that they put in place to identify who they are so they can be attractive to the, the audience that they're, they're looking to cater to. I think the other, uh, the other part of it too is, is just working on their candidate acquisition channels to really cast that noise out to everybody about, uh, the fact that they're hiring their hot company, they're onto something. And then internally, just working on retention tools, you know, between bringing people in, making them feel included performance management and, and, and making their, their employees successful. The, the contrast to, to larger companies is a lot of that stuff's in place. And really what you're looking at with some of the larger companies uh, is, is refining it. Maybe a, the, the, uh, the cliche, the, the 2.0 version, where they've, they have enough data on what works and what doesn't. Um, they can start making some moves. And quite possibly their culture may have changed in different ways. Uh, and you can also look at different departments as having cultures within the company. So the almost like little companies within the company and they just operate differently. So being able to talk about that and who those people are uh, within those departments and what their culture is like. Who do you think has a larger opportunity, whether it be growth stage or early stage companies, to really catch the train towards the evolution or the current positioning of where people ops and the HR function has evolved into and will be going into? I know two years ago was remote work and all the functionalities and processes that have to assimilate into what people are desiring in that space. Now it's AI and AI is influencing people ops and HR. Who do you think has the edge uh, over the other? Well, I might have a little bit of a bias here because I work with a lot of earlier stage companies. So the great thing about them is they, they've, they've made uh, very few mistakes. A lot of stuff's not in place. They're flexible. They can move fast. And so the opportunity to build the right way is there. Um, whereas companies that are a lot bigger, companies are built. They have a big employee base. Being able to roll out change management is a lot more difficult. But companies do it, and you see it all the time on the best places to work. It just it takes longer. It'll probably take you a year to get something done at a large company versus the earlier stage ones that could be, you know, a quarter or two, and they're they're on the right track. 
how do you catch up as a growth stage company? Understanding that early stage companies are more dynamic, less friction, I guess, from executives and people having to approve certain steps in order to stay up to date with what's going on. Any advice that you could offer for state's companies to almost like bypass the current stage in terms of authorizing change management, as you mentioned? I think buying at the top is where it starts. Everyone in the executive team has to see it as priority. Uh, oftentimes, it's really hard to get lost addressing your culture or nurturing your culture because you're so focused on business. You have your business goals, you're going after them, and, and, and the next thing you know, you don't know what's happened to your culture and it's it's got a little bit out of control. To to make that happen, if you're a people leader, you need data. You need data to suggest why we need to you know invest in our culture. Uh, it could be turnover data. It could be turnover data data relative to um, different groups. Uh, it could be your ability to recruit. Uh, employee engagement's a huge one as well. And taking all that and uh, and gathering, you know, how are we doing? And how do we do from quarter to quarter, year to year? to see what the trends are telling us, uh, and then putting you know, putting initiative and priority behind it uh, to make sure that uh, things are, are done. And if the executive team is all marching towards that goal, you typically get the, the, the middle management to, to dive in on to get things done, uh, and that trickles down to your employees. So you mentioned two parts. You mentioned addressing culture as well as you, you could also lean into the data part, which I'll get into later on. But Chris and I, Kevin, we'll pull you into this group we're young guys, right? We we like to stay up to date with what companies are building, what their missions are, how do they view values, cultural the cultural evolution of what's going what's going on internally. How do you how do you suggest companies approach these things, right? So I mean, actually take a step back. How important is culture when someone's considering working at a company? How important is culture as an operator within the company when trying to sustain a a growth a potentially growth growth stage company. I'd say culture for most employees is is the most important thing. Uh, the you know the, they oftentimes say that uh, you know good employees leave their managers, they don't leave the company, which is true. And obviously, your your hiring manager is is an integral part of that culture. People are unhappy; they're just going to leave. They'll find another job doing something that is similar to what they are, and probably another great opportunity as well. So having that dialed in and, and recognizing what your culture is, and I think that part doesn't get emphasized enough. You shouldn't apologize for who you are. You are who you are, and I think you should project that out to the public so they know this is who we are and this is what it's like to work with us. And if you if it resonates with you and this is the place you want to be, come on down. I think not sending that message out oftentimes the employee will learn about what your culture is beyond what your recruiter told them pretty quickly, you know, in the first 90 days, probably first 30 days, to be honest with you. And uh, and if you're doing it wrong, um, they're already looking for a new job. And turnover hurts. It hurts your bottom line, but also hurts the morale of the company. And quite frankly, after 30 days, you've probably only gotten a person competent enough to do the somewhat of the job. And with them leaving, somebody else has to take it over and you're spending more time recruiting people again. It's just, it's wildly inefficient. Just be honest up front. It'll pay off. Why don't you think companies lean into that? Why do you think they're a little more hesitant to relay what they represent, what they believe in, whether it's from an internal practice standpoint or just more, I guess, global standpoint in terms of what they're approaching via their product and their service? You know, some of it is they're out of touch with who they actually are. So they haven't run, they haven't run an analysis of what people think in terms of what culture and value are. I think you're not just starting at the top. I think you this this is a top down and bottom up type thing to solve. 
ask the CEO, ask the executive team who they think they are, ask the middle management who they think they are, ask the employees who they think they are, what, you know, what values they think resonate, put all that data together and then, you know, and then kind of have that, uh, the, the proverbial come to Jesus conversation of like, okay, this is this is probably who we are. Our values and mission, mission should be on target. Our values in line with what we say they are. And if they're not, let's let's evaluate that. And your values could change over time. When you're a small company, they might be one thing. A middle company, they might change a little bit. A bigger company, they, they might change again. So understanding what that is and then projecting it. I think one of the other things is in a situation where you don't, you're not even trying to gather the data. Sometimes you see copycats that believe, hey, we just use this term or that term. It's it. Everybody likes the sound of it. it it's impressive. It's attractive. And so we're going to use it. And uh, in those situations, yeah, they might get people to come in. It might sound like the greatest place to work at based upon these buzzwords. And then you get there and it's, no, it's, it's not bad. Um, you're not doing yourself any favors by doing that. You're, you're just, you're going to lose your people pretty quickly and have this residual turnover problem. How do you stray away from that copy and paste mindset from a company standpoint? As you mentioned, like we like this buzzword, they used it, Apple used it, we got to use it kind of an attitude. And from a millennial Gen Z standpoint, it's almost very obvious to identify. You just copy and paste this from a, a template or a job post. I've seen at a similar company. How do you combat that? Yeah, I think that's where data comes into play. I mean, if you're going to use it and you're getting people come in, you have to have people analytics in place. And I would recommend getting people analytics in place pretty, pretty early. So from that, you know, job satisfaction, engagement, how they view values, culture, things along those lines, have frequent check-ins. It could be quarterly. It could be every six months. I would say annually is, is too long. That's probably the best way to get it. I mean, you could be copying and pasting what Apple says, and it could work. You know, may, maybe that is what it's like. And it probably is made up of a lot of former Apple employees. So, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's the only way you can tell. And so that's kind of the data part that goes back to talking to the executive team. They're like, do we have a problem here? And and how do we address that? Yep, for sure. The numbers do not tend to lie really much. Something I want to circle back to is you mentioned employer branding. We love to talk about that here on this podcast. Just, you know, from your, from your vantage point, as someone who's constantly you know, c- consulting recruiting teams, you know, helping companies, what's the effect of good employer branding? On the flip side of that, what's the effect of bad employer branding for a company? I think good employer branding is, is it's most useful in the talent acquisition space. I'd say, you know, you're not necessarily selling your people again on the company by, you know, posting who we are. If anything, those same employees are going to be part of the videos, the tributes, the information that goes into talking about the company. You should see an uptick in, in quality candidates coming through the pipeline, whether you're reaching out to them uh, or you've posted somebody something and they're coming in. And quite frankly, candidates just want to know as much as they can possibly know about working at your company. Realistically, we're not we're not looking at too many changes in our career, at least the top talent is. So they want to make every single change count. And when you're looking for a job, let's say every two to three years now, it seems it's much different when I started my career. You don't want to make one and then realize that you're going to have to be looking for a job in the next, you know, three to six months and, and have that one year experience. It's very disruptive to your life. So I think, so I think the the good side. So again, to answer your question, that's the good side. Of it. The, the downside of it, um, one, it could it could hurt your ability to recruit people. I think if we were to talk about, I'm going to call it poor employer branding, and that's just probably a lack of transparency of who you are. I recently 
recently looked at a website actually just yesterday of a company. I love their product, and uh, and I just wanted to look like, hey, they just got a lot of they got a, a, like 140 million in investment in the last couple of years. And I'm like, great. I wonder what they're hiring for. What are they, what, you know, what are they doing? So I'm trying to figure this out by going through their company and going through their career website. And they had five openings. And their career website says, you know, we have a great culture. We live our values. We have fun at work. Here's our openings. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm like, you said it, but how do you do that? You know, like when people don't see it. So they're they're competing with talent on, you know, websites of other companies where they'll talk about when they get together, what their favorite things are, how they... Perhaps they're a remote or uh, or hybrid company. How they they connect, despite the fact that they're so far apart. What their values are and how that resonates with both their customers, their product, and internally. And they have all this information around it. And you read it and you're like, I think I know who they are. And then as long as it's you know relatively to absolutely true, when you start talking to people in the company, you're probably going to see it. And you should see it in interviews that people are asking things about you. That are relative to their values, and they're able to tie the values of their company back to what the company is. Uh, and, and I used to do that earlier in my career all the time, where I used the value to actually recruit candidates. And and when we had these conversations, they would they would then get to the end and say, "Okay, I understand why their values are what their values are and how it affects them every day." And it, you know, in some of these companies, they weren't the most attractive companies, but we were the most transparent and thorough. Uh, so they felt comfortable about joining. They knew who they were joining. So anyways, a little bit of a rabbit hole I went down there, but hopefully helpful. What I think was really interesting is when you engage in that one company's website career page, and then you're like, okay, you say all these cool things, but how necessarily? Because you're just throwing me right into the job postings. So how important is that relationship between a company and a, let's say a, a site visitor when they engage with their site, right? And they're learning about their career page and they're trying to at least get some kind of welcoming into what their culture or their values represent. How engaged is that engagement? How valuable is that engagement? And what are some tips and tricks that you, you think are really effective to almost bring that to life or maybe even automate that process so it's seamless and almost personalized in a way? Sure, yeah. I think, well, if you don't have much on your first website or any of your social media uh, areas, then you are beholden to they have to love your product. In this scenario that I talked about, I actually, I love their product. And, uh, and so, you know, let's say I was looking for a job I probably would have applied anyways. I don't know what there's not a lot on their, their culture. Love their product, I'll give it a try, right? But that's, I mean, that that's not going to get you across the finish line when you're trying to hire at scale. So, so next step, right? Pictures, still very, it's probably sub 1.0 at this point, but some sort of pictures, pictures of the the, the office somewhat. It's not as important, um, but more of showing the people and emphasizing the things that you do as a company. Now, that could be fun things. It also could be charitable things. Anything that talks about the unique, the uniqueness of your culture and the people around it uh, that speak to it. Again, unapologetically, if your company is the, the one that likes to go uh, pick up trash at the beach, talk about it, right? You know, we care about, you know, eliminating plastic from, from the ocean. And this is where we emphasize our time. That's going to really have an impact on certain candidates. Other ones that, you know, maybe, maybe something else is more important to them. I'd say the minimum, really 1.0 now, video. You need to have video. I would also say adding in all your social networks. So you're have, you know, have your LinkedIn widget there, Twitter, if you're using it. Now, I guess you have threads that, uh, that, that Meta came out with that has over 100 million users already. So you may want to look into that. Um, YouTube, it's great. Easy to make videos and just kind of post them there. And the videos can be about anything, right? It's part of it's about your culture, but it could be about your product. 
maybe you go to a certain event and how you represent there or a product launch or something like that, but something that can build excitement around the company. And then of course, missions value about us, you know, links to who your team is, your executive team, your middle management. If you have the time space, everybody, right? And and if you have even more, it's one, one of those things where you can click on the picture and it turns around and talks a little bit about the person and talk about the person. There's one guy in my, um, this group that I'm part of, People Tech, and he, leaned, he he came into our group with, hey, this is who I am, great background. He says, and I love ice cream and I love to talk about ice cream. And right away, that guy made an impression on every single person in that group. It's things like that where you're like, huh, that's interesting. We have that in common. That makes the, makes a person feel a little bit more comfortable and, and could come to you. So I'd say all these pieces, and that's it's a quite a bit of work, but it's impressive. I mean, you look at that and you think, wow. Look at this company, their culture, their values, who they are. Maybe they're not a big deal yet, but it certainly seems like they know, like they're they're doing all the right things to get there. So, so I want to jump on board. Those are the things that I think I feel like they work. Uh, and then, as a person that sells companies, you know, to candidates, man, you give me a million different things to close somebody on. So it's it's all good content. So mission values about us, ice cream. Right. Nice. <laughs> <Ice> right. <laughs> videos, <laughs> social media. Yeah, videos, social media, imagery, all that for what? So what exactly are you typically seeing being that you mentioned earlier that you're selling companies to candidates? What are they asking? What do they typically want to see? What's the trend or what are some familiar questions that you get frequently and that you're seeing hey companies like these are probably some foundational questions that should be answered at first glance when engaging with let's say your career page. Sure. Yeah. Like, so uh, I'm glad you asked that question. Question you get in almost every single can interview. Tell me about the culture. So you know you're getting the question. Um, you know it's on everybody's mind. So why not give them as much about your culture in advance? Um, because instead of them saying, "Tell me about your culture," they can say, "Well, I see this value, or I saw this, or I saw that." You know, when I was on your career website, let's talk about this more. So you actually spend more time going deeper on the company. Think about the power of that. You know, every other company where you don't have that way of questions asked, because quite frankly, the person doesn't know. You have the other person online probably spending two, two to five minutes talking about culture. And then the person comes away and that's their first touch with it. Meanwhile, your company has already gone deeper before the person ever talks to you. And then you even go deeper than that. You're a step ahead, you know, and, and, and as long as, I mean, money still matters and making offers to a certain extent, but you're laid up. You're in a position to win. So all those all those unique touch points relevant to inquiries someone may have about a company, you mentioned on a multitude of occasions how important data was, whether from a cultural standpoint, employer branding standpoint. I guess let's speak holistically and then maybe we could dive in. How important is data? I mean, especially also with AI, right? All the rave now with data being the crown jewel, right? Of navigating how companies can almost automate all these cool things that you mentioned. Really just walk us through the importance of data, whether it's internally to make certain decisions, as well as having unique data points uh, to broadcast to potential candidates or customers or partners. Sure. Yeah, I think in the absence of data, we go with what our gut tells us, right? And 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 what and and, uh, and as we've seen and we've we've learned a lot more about in the last few years is um, we we lean into our biases as a result of it. Yeah, I think this is going on and that's going on. Uh, and you might be looking at little data points in the absence of a larger data point, a holistic one. You might be looking at little things that 
that uh, confirmation bias that things are going okay or confirmation bias that everything's going wrong. Um, what data tells you is you can look at things from different perspectives. Okay, our engagement, let's say our engagement of our company is seems high because everybody said, yeah, I you know, enjoy working here or whatever, right? You know what I wanna know is I wanna know um, how each department feels. You know, so I wanna break it down. And then once I do that, I wanna look at turnover. And I want to understand, okay, well, what, what's, you know, how well are these groups performing? Or oftentimes, if you're an executive team, you're missing the mark on something. Let's call it sales. You're not making it. And then, you know, oftentimes the sales leader will say, well, like, you know, I just don't have enough people and I don't, I don't have enough people because recruiting is hiring people for me fast enough. Um, you can see I've been around this argument a few times. I can imagine. Um, and it, yes. It behooves the people department to support the sales leader in a different way and to have that relationship. So you're not you're not telling him like, no, it's actually your fault because everybody's turning over. You're telling him or her that like it's uh you know it's is it's a, a result of other factors. And let's talk about this and let's come up with a strategy. The last thing an executive team and certainly CEO wants to hear is everybody pointing fingers. They want a solution. So people analytics gives that to us. So if turnover is a problem and we're able to capture information on uh, exit interviews, we can we can make an informed decision about what type of changes we can make. How do we how do we come back from that? The other important part about that that comes out of it is that uh, you know beyond just the executive team, people internally, people externally are going to see the problem. So you need to be able to speak to it. Yes, we messed up. This is the route we were going. This is how we managed to not be inclusive or, uh, or or set goals that were unattainable or, or whatever it, it ends up being. We analyzed the data, we talked about the management, we made some changes. We're not perfect, but we're trying to get better. Well, that's a lot better than somebody that doesn't know they have their, it has the problem to begin with. And so again, you have something you can pitch somebody on it. Like, yeah, we're, you know, we're not the worst, but at least we recognize we have a problem. So, hey, what about ABC company that you're in now? Do they tell you how they're missing the mark? Do they know how they're missing the mark? At least we know, and we can tell you what we're doing about it. So that's a power of people analytics and, and being able to do that. So again, just to, to kind of go back to it, one part of it is having a holistic approach of, of how the company's working, but being able to tap on each department and go deep with, with how it's working. And then the other way around it is when business isn't reaching their goals, being able to look at the people side of it and understand where the problems are and break that down so you can fix it. Yeah, for sure. So you, you mentioned turnover and kind of now let's hyper focus on just the people HR function. What are just some essential data points in in, in uh, your mind that any people ops professionally, HR professional needs to be aware of at all times? Well, I think it starts from the beginning. At least that's my feeling. You know, when you went through onboarding, did you feel, so this is what the, 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 the employee would be answering. Did you feel like you were set up to succeed? Were you introduced or integrated into the decision makers, whether in your department or cross-functional? Did you get a clear understanding of what it is that your role is delivering based upon the business need or, or where you're going? And can did you have a timeline? You know, what what are you expected to accomplish in like the 30-day mark, the 60, the end of the first quarter, or this year? And then um, and then how how does that? I mean, this is probably a you know a nice to have, but it, I would do it. How does that tie into the bigger effect on the company? Uh, I think oftentimes um, there's a disconnect there. So you, you might do your job, you might do it well, and then you find at the end, whatever you did didn't matter. 
because nobody had you in the room to discuss what the problem, you know, how your job might have changed. I think those those are the things that so that's that's what I think the employees have asked and they're looking for. So from a people leadership standpoint, perhaps it's having some sort of survey at the end of week one or week two that talks about these things and then flagging it. And there is actually softwares out there beyond surveys that will help you onboard and check these different points about it. And as you start to hear more of this information, perhaps there's something you're missing, you add that to the onboarding. You add a meeting in that perhaps you see is, is useful. Also, everyone goes through trainings, depending upon the departments, getting feedback on that. How effective are our trainings? What's missing? What's missing within the company? And then lastly, I would completely remiss if I didn't talk about the inclusive part. How is how included is the person feeling? Whomever they are, you know, did you did you feel like you were part of a group? Did you feel like you were still on the outside? What are some of the ways that you felt included or some of the ways you didn't feel that you were included? I still feel we get inclusion wrong a lot. And, uh, and it's the one problem I don't see being solved enough, which I think would go a long way towards solving a lot of these problems. How so? Break that down. What do you mean by you don't feel as if inclusion is being solved around the board? I think so, kind of, you know, taking a step back here, diversity and inclusion, I'm you know, just going to use a simple diversity and inclusion term. A lot of focus play is put on hiring for diversity within the company. And they'll kind of figure out, hey, in terms of who we think we are, uh, you know, and what voices are not in the room, let's work on getting those voices in the room so that we can talk about it, right? That, that's So they, they stay, that's what they want, right? And then they give it to a recruiting team. The recruiting team goes out, they, you know, oftentimes you're networking, you're getting communities, you're putting a message out there, and you're selling the person on the company. And then they get in, and it's great, and like, and then they go through their onboarding, and then they're there, and well, how, how are they integrating into the culture? It's the same exact thing that they did before for everybody that thought the same way. You know, so you have diversity of thought and, 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 and culture and, and everything coming in, but you're using the same intake method. So, so how did that change? And, and, and what do you do to make it change? And how did you position that person so they felt they're, they're part of the group? You know, oftentimes you're just, that's not even thought about. At least that's the way it feels, that there's, there's no thought behind it. So ultimately, and I've seen this time again with recruiting professionals bringing this to me or candidates that I've hired myself, they come back and they just say, I just don't feel like I belong here. And what should I do? You know, somebody recruiting their job is to help them. Um, their job is to, to get them in. But then beyond that, their ability to influence change is, is very limited. It's a terrible place to be if you're in recruiting, to be honest with you. You built trust with that person and then you felt like you betrayed them because it wasn't, it wasn't what they said it was going to be. You brought in an interesting point about someone getting submerged within a company, their culture, their way of life, essentially, and then realizing, hey, this isn't the right fit. Tying that point back into what Chris mentioned earlier with what data points are essential, you began to dive deep into the onboarding process and making sure they're involved that way. If you could take a step prior to that, what are certain data points that maybe a candidate could almost lean into? So they don't get into the situation you mentioned earlier about, hey, this isn't right fit. Is there any signals or things that they could be on the lookout for saying, hey, this culture, I don't really believe in these values here or vice or whatever the case may be. So they don't, so they don't catch themselves into a situation where they're almost stuck. In that. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I think this is true about anyone that's going to work with a company. So beyond, beyond candidates, if you're a, you know, independent contractor or anything like that. Um, I think 
what you're what you're looking for uh, is you, you can find kind of in the news. And now keep in mind, unfortunately, it's, it's not a lot of information, but you're not going to see sensor report on, hey, how did we do with people analytics at, at XYZ company? I mean, you might have some sort of report that comes out, but my my normal playbook on companies, this is mostly earlier stage companies, is I start with crunch base. Uh, I go in there to see how much money they have, right? A company that has plenty of, you know, plenty of funding and stuff like that place will will probably be away from desperation. They'll be growing. They'll be flush with cash. So it's okay. I feel pretty good about that. Then I'll go into Glassdoor and I'll see what they have to say there. I will tell you right now, Glassdoor is going to have a whole bunch of negative ratings, a whole bunch of terrible things to say. Management's the worst people in the world, yada, yada, yada. But there probably are some norm, like some little anomalies that you'll hear in there where maybe they'll reference a certain group within the company. There might be some sort of narrative there that you see that you're like, okay, well, I think that's probably a problem there. Every single company is going to have a problem. So expect it. If you eliminate any company off of Glassdoor because you see a problem, you're like, oh, great, they have a problem. You're never going to work anywhere. So you're going to reject everyone. So so looking at that, is that a problem that, that I'd be okay with? Then I go into the news and I look for all the news that I can possibly find on the company and uh, and see if there's anything there I can glean from a product, from an employee perspective, anything like that. That's, that's what I'm looking for. And then lastly, if I know anyone that's worked at the company or somebody that's attached to a person that works at the company, I'm going to give them a call and ask them. But I've done all this research in advance. I've pulled as much data. I'm as prepared as I can be. I will ask them, okay, this is what I think is, this is what I'm seeing. You know, tell me about what it's like to work there. And, you know, was, you know, this manager in this group that seems to get, you know, blasted on Glassdoor, is he or she as bad as they say they are, you know? And, um, and so I think um, that's probably the best you can do right now. I would also say blind is another good place to go to if you can get access I believe with Blind, you have to register with your company email, and that may give you access. And I know it's been a while since I've used it, but it gives you kind of a, a look into what's going on at those companies. And it's a little bit, the data there is a little bit clear just because you have to have that domain. So you're not going to let in Joe Schmo with a Gmail account to say bad things about, you know, Disney or or what other company, you know, is out there. They're, they're, you're going to have to have that email address uh, to, to be able to, to verify. Disney, by the way, is a great employer. So you mentioned how you're typically in a role where you have to introduce candidates to companies and sell the company saying, hey, their culture is X, Y, and Z, their values X, Y, and Z. And as we mentioned, it's the values, the photos, the images, and the ice cream that ends up being the deal maker to bring them on board. Yeah. If companies are doing that right currently, right, and they're doing a, a thorough enough job of providing those resources, does that make your job harder in terms of, for example, I'd like to assume people would flood their gates in terms of open roles, like with, with or without you, or do you feel like that almost supports your your cause and your mission at uh, Kincor Consulting? You know, if all the companies did this really, really well uh, and they were great at communication, I would not have a job. As it turned out, human beings are just, communication is something they always have to work on. So uh Probably be in a position to to help people along with uh, the various consultants within my company for for the foreseeable future. And uh, and AI is not going to it's fixing a lot of things and it's really cool and there's a lot of great things you can do with it, but it's not going to fix that part. Human human interaction, being the ability to to empathize and problem solve, it's it's going to be a factor for 
you know, until maybe the machines replace us or something. Because it, it's it's just something that we we can't get away from. I mean, people ops itself I means it's in the name people. So yeah, probably forever be the the focal point and main north star in terms of how to navigate and grow and scale within that domain. Yeah, but you mentioned AI. What are some cool tools, cool solutions that you've seen out in the market relevant to your day to day? Um, well, I have two answers for that. First, I'm going to talk about the answer, the, the thing that I saw today, which is emphasize how awesome this is. Um, there was a company that I, I get a mailing from, I get a newsletter, and they're going to the Chicago Tech Week. And so they used AI to build a fortune teller. And I was like, okay, sure, not sure. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll click on the fortune teller and see what it does. And sure enough, it has like kind of the face of the, like the, the one that you used to find it, like you know, the, the boardwalk or the, the arcade where you put in a coin and, and then it asks you to put in your name and it's scouring the web for information on you. And it brought up like, hey, do you hail from here? And of course I hail from that city, right? It found it. I'm pretty sure I looked at my LinkedIn profile. Uh, and then it said, oh, is this your email address? And then, and then it, it's, it, you know, it, it basically analyzed my career. And gave the, you know, basically stated the next five years would be the greatest five years of my career and I would be very successful and blah, 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 blah. And like it, it basically was able to research me, come up with all this in less than a minute. And, and so, so then that, now that's something that feeds into recruiting and, you know, you're seeing more and more stuff of being able to pull data and, and, and then write about. So, so one example, I met with this company and their, their software listens into an interview, writes everything down. So that's not uncommon. But you can go back later and use AI to ask it questions about what it heard and to put answers in either bulleted or paragraph format. And then, and it's automatically hooked up to your applicant tracking system. So as a recruiter, what's the advantage for me? Well, I go through, I research the person, I ask my questions, I go through it. To be successful in recruiting, you got to hustle, you got to work fast. I might have interview after interview after interview. So I get through, let's call it six interviews, it's three hours later. Now I'm trying to remember. Did I put everything in for the first candidate or the second candidate? And what did I remember? Huh, I'm not so sure. Sometimes, you know, you could have eight interviews in a row, like you're really cranking out. Well, it just recorded everything. So I'm going to go back and ask it, hey, what did we say about this or that? And what type of, you know, like it, it and I, I watched it. I'm like, this is great data. So now all of a sudden, instead of trying to remember and then spend all the time curating it in a fashion that everyone would want to hear, I'm now asking AI to do it. And I'm getting my feedback done probably in two or three minutes instead of 15 to 20 minutes. And I can go through and do like six to eight of those really, really fast. I submit it and, and then it's done. And then maybe even take it one step further. I can give this to my hiring managers who are notorious for not getting feedback in on time. Hey, they interview, they do their best, but they also have another job to do. So they might interview and say, I'll get right back to that. And then two days went by and they're like, huh, what was that? And they have a recruiter like me on them. Like, can you tell me more? Well, now it's there. It's in the applicant tracking system. They may have to do nothing. I might be able to use AI to ask it the very questions I need to know and be able to understand, did this, did this candidate meet the mark? And then I can go back to the hiring manager and say, well, based upon this, this is what I found. It sounded like it went pretty well. How would you rate the person? Then all of a sudden that they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I really like that person. Or if they say they did, you'll be like, well, it certainly sounds like it went well. What's going on here? It speeds the process. And time is of essence when it comes to candidates. They're only on the market for so long and then they're gone. And then we don't, the good ones, we don't see them for three to five years. So move very quickly. And so a tool like that helps. On my side of it, I do more strategic work now. I've written hiring plans with it. So I had the content that I want. And then I asked chat, I was like, okay, 
this is what I'm trying to do. And then I just kept on refining it, refining it. And at a certain point, I'm like, great. And then I popped in my content and I was done. Things that maybe in the past took me an entire day to do, I had it knocked out in two hours. And when I gave it to my client, they're like, wow, this is impressive. I did admit to them that I did use chat to be able to get it done. And they're like, wow. I'm like, yeah, now you're probably just going to use that for everything. So um, so the ability to be more effective or as as one uh, this one meeting I went through, I'm calling it, I'm using the term that they got out. It's called talent activation. And that, you know, you're, you're up leveling your talent. You're activating the talent. The ability for a person to do better work because now they have this, this tool, this assistant, almost like a person, an expert, being able to make them better. And, uh, and the power of that is just it's incredible. I think if anything, it's just going to make our talent people better. Yes, it will replace some jobs. But I think what it might help with the problem that we've continually seen, it was that the great resignation, as, as we saw recently, people leave jobs when they're happy. If they're not performing, that, that obviously could be an issue. But now they have this tool that helps them perform farm at a higher level. So do I want to lose? Why would I leave a job? Everyone thinks I'm doing great because me and chat, we're great partners and we, you know, and we're, we're turning things in. And if, if I'm a business owner and I'm hitting the business objectives and the revenue I'm doing, I don't care if it's, you know, Bob or Jane using chat to be able to produce something great. I'm succeeding. And so overall, I think AI at the moment is positioned to do really great things for us. Obviously there's some risks there as there are, it could be doing the wrong things, but that's, time will tell. For sure, time will definitely tell uh, in AI. Honestly, Kevin, if you could just give us like another example there, because you, you mentioned a couple of really interesting ways AI could be implemented specifically within your realm. Is there any other ways or maybe a way that people might not think of, think of initially a use case of AI within the recruiting and people space in general? You know, good question. I've been asking that same question to myself. Like, where where are we not? Why are we not using AI? I think how I'm doing it right now, this is my perspective and take it or leave it for whatever it's worth. I'm looking at every single thing I do and asking, can I use AI to help with this? And and I might just open up a tool and go through and ask it questions. It's another another checkpoint I can look at. So maybe instead of calling out to professionals that I think are really good in these areas, doing a Google search to see what's been done in the past, referencing a software, I'm now adding this, this new layer. And, and understanding, is this the best that it can be? And I'm starting to, I'm, I'm doing it earlier because I feel like it gives me a lot of content, a lot of structure that I can run with. So that when I have following conversations with human beings, I sound a little bit more intelligent about what I'm talking about, even if I am weak in that domain. So my answer to that question, apply it to everything and see where you get your best results. Do you think there are any limitations when it comes to AI within the people space? I mean, I think there should be some limitations on privacy for being we're going like if we're addressing everything you know i think it should be tied to certain things that are applicable to to business but uh any sort of data-driven decision i think you can use it and uh in any building content process procedures source of, source of truth finances there's yeah there's a there's a lot of different areas i, I don't i again i would probably say the limitations is let's try to keep it away from privacy and uh my the, my very example i gave you the fortune teller tells you that might be hard to do because the fortune teller who knows that i found something i forgot about years and years ago and all of a sudden that's integrated into my fortune and i'm like whoa i don't want people thinking about me that way have that you know have that find out that story from back in college 
So, you know, things, things along those lines. So I think that's where, that's kind of that downside that I talked about. And like, how are we going to manage that? How are we going to manage that AI is probably going to find certain things about people that we might not be as enthused about. And maybe it's like the, the, like the reverse glass door. Now we're looking at people because now we can gather data on them through, through this lens. For sure. I completely agree with that. Very insightful though. I'm going to appreciate you giving us a little bit more of your take on AI because I think it's so interesting. And obviously it's going to play a huge role in the future of humanity as a whole, right? So it's, it's, I, I just love to see people are just forcing themselves to get used to it. I have ChatGPT and like the home row on my iPhone, you know, forcing myself to just get used to it, just get used to it. Sometimes I forget, but I trying to create a habit. So Kevin, you have really, really deep experience like the first thing i said you spent a good amount of time at facebook pandora obviously you consult with so many so many companies what's like the main pillars of advice that you give to any companies out there just when it comes to managing people the recruiting processes anything that just just like those not those little gold nuggets you know to you like what are just your pillars like this is for a company this is what you have to know yeah i think very first thing is just aligning on what what y'all are doing and uh you know as we talked about employee brand who you are as we talk about the business need where the business is going and making sure that from top to bottom everybody understands what is we're doing and, and the priorities and where we're putting our resources i think that is the biggest change that we make when we go into companies is that 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 alignment is not there it's broken and the, the power of the efficiency that you get out of helping everyone understand what's going on and, and how we're going to spend our time and what we need to do to make the company better. I think that's A1, analyzed. So once you start marching that direction, having the ability to analyze and, and pull data, automate as much as you possibly can to, to build efficiencies. So you don't, you're don't you not bogging down very talented people with monotonous tasks. I think those three are probably the three that you can, you can do right away. It's going to help you grow. Uh, or if you're a company that's already big, it's going to just probably going to enhance the experience of your employee. Uh, employees. And then maybe if you're looking for that last, that next, I should say five to 10%, you know, uptick in productivity or revenue, maybe those are the little things that unlock it. You mentioned the first point, aligning your employer brand. And earlier in the pod, you said not only are they looking for key things on their site, their career page, but you mentioned you know, glass doors and blind. If I do recall blind, blind. Yeah, yeah blind. blind. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, they tend to flicker on and off with practicing the, the whole anonymity thing, right? Like how do you how do you align your employer brand? Speaking for a company, right? Speaking as a company, how do you align your employer brand when you're dealing with almost the lack of transparency, right? The lack of access to candidates. And you mentioned way earlier in the pod that the lack of awareness internally of what candidates do want, which is what we should be broadcasting via the photos, the videos, the ice cream, right? Yeah. How would you how do you Break that down. And so if I understand your question correctly, if, if the company lacks it right now, how would they maybe set that up or execute on it? Yeah, not necessarily lack it, but if there's a multitude of resources out there, like how do you line everything in once, especially with the references like Glassdoor and Blindly being ones that aren't necessarily true transparency, as you mentioned, data yeah. could alternatively be the, the equalizer to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's not much you can do about a Glassdoor or a Blind. Um, you just got to accept what it is. Uh, and you had to hope that the talent that's looking in your company has that perspective as well. Um, we just kind of, it's just gotten to that point where you just have to expect that you'll hear some things there and you know, just, just what people are saying about your company. 
if there's consistent themes in there, obviously you can pull that into that whole like, you know, employee analytics aspect of it. Like, well, actually we saw it here in like exit interviews and we're seeing it here in Glassdoor or we're seeing it here in Blind. So, so that's, that's good stuff to pull on as well. But to kind of answer your question in terms of like getting that, that, that out perhaps, it's kind of a tall task, if you will. Here's the unfortunate part about it is oftentimes you're not associating, you know, revenue generation or hitting kind of business goals with putting employer brand in place. You're seeing it as a cost. Uh, it's so far removed from the bottom line or from revenue generation, like the, the key part. You, you often don't see what the advantages of it are. So uh, a lot of times it's just not, it's just not being put in place right away. That, that's one of the reasons it's not there. I'm not absolutely sure I'm answering your question the correct way, but it is kind of one of the things that it, it flagged. You, you, you absolutely are. Is there okay. such as too much employer branding efforts, too many platforms are using in order to attract or showcase what you got going on internally as a company? Uh, no, I mean, I think uh, if you had the time and money, uh, sure. You know, but these smaller companies, a lot of the ones I work with, like the small to mid-sized companies, you know, you're you're taking marketing time, you're taking recruiting time, you're taking people ops time, you're taking executive time. So be mindful of what it is you're going to ask. Because you only have so much time and money the first time. Make sure you get the best things in place. And things, let me bring it back. Yeah, not the best thing. Things will have the biggest impact right away. If you can get those in place, then you, you take your marker of like, this is, you know, this is what it looked like in terms of candidate generation coming into the company before the employer brand. This is what we did, and this is what it looks like on the other side. And then as a result of that, they brought down cost of hire, it brought down um, time to hire, it brought up quality of hire. Um, so we did all these th things and it worked. And you bring that to an executive team, they're like, oh, great. Well, you know, and well, actually, you give them the data, but you also give them recommendations too. You don't want them to just say, hey, great job. You want them to give you more. You've done a good job. Now it's time to ask for more. And so then you look at, okay, here's some pieces that are missing. And I believe that will only help us improve these numbers. And, and this is what I need. And so then you give that and they love numbers. They see it. They're like, great, it's working, successful. Yes, we'll give it to you. And then you, you iterate again and just keep building on it. And that's a process of building. So that's my way of saying, like, you know, don't try to do everything at once. Look for the impact first and then slowly add to it. Understand it's going to be several iterations before you get to where you're going. You're never going to have, I would be surprised if there's enough time and, and money and people to to be able to to build like work on everything employee brand related. I've never seen it. Yep, for sure. Just one brick by brick, once a day. Just that one percent yeah. every day, and just keep building on it. I love that. Well, Kevin, you gave us so much knowledge, not only to our audience but to me and Peacemaker right here. I can assure you that I learned so much. Please tell the people where can they find uh, more about you and more about Kingcore Consulting. So Kinker Consulting, just kinkerconsulting.com. Um, if you're watching this podcast, you have questions, certainly about some of the technologies I referenced but didn't give by name, um, you can you can reach me at kevin at kinkerconsulting.com. Yeah, that's the, the best way. I think if you just Google my name, you'll probably find out everything the fortune teller said, except for I do not have the flavor of ice cream I like the best online. So you're probably going to have to. <laughs> Look that up, or okay, I'll tell you. It's it's you know it's 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 chocolate and peanut butter. Anything is is that you you got me. Good I man, right there. Good man, right there. That's 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 one of the greatest <laughs> combinations known to man. Well, Kevin, again, thank you so much. It's much appreciated for coming on the podcast today. 
Uh, thanks for having me. Really, really enjoyed it, guys. Yes. Um, and to everyone listening, thank you very much as always. And until next time.